it's all about the time capsule. It's all, you know, not only do I want to preserve what I see right now, but I want to dig up what it was in another time that I have no relationship to because I like to time travel. <laughs> okay. Welcome to the Lifelines podcast brought to you by the Brooklyn Writers Project. I'm Marina Aris. And I'm Diane Fenner. And we're your hosts. This is the podcast for book creators, book lovers, and literary ambassadors. Join us each week as we explore the writing life, the art, and the business of creating great books. Today, we're talking to Amy Lyons, a local writer, artist, and illustrator. Amy Lyons grew up in Pittsburgh and received her BFA from Carnegie Mellon University. She apprenticed with the United Scenic Artists and worked on major motion picture, television, and Broadway sets as a professional union scene painter. Since 1999, Amy has been a resident of Brooklyn, New York, a neighborhood which, in her own words, is one populated by fellow artists and set against a backdrop of riverfront industrial ruins and row houses. For the last five years, her passion has been researching local history, for a children's book, and documenting the ever-changing Brooklyn streets in her paintings. In 2017, she completed two large paintings of scenes from A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, which were commissioned by the Brooklyn Public Library for permanent display at the Leonard Branch in Williamsburg. She currently resides in Greenpoint with her children and her husband. And thank you so much for joining us, Amy. What a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So, folks, today, Diane is here also. Thank you, Diane, for showing up. Oh, you're welcome. Good I'm to sorry see you. I walked in late. I'm glad you guys waited for me. <laughs> <laughs> we're happy to have you all here with us. Um, we're going to focus today on using art and literature to preserve history. So I was thinking a great place to start is with uh, art and illustration, which is something that Amy actually started with, right? Because... Then she eventually moved on into the writing arena, but I figured let's start <laughs> let's start where she started, um, and let's talk a little bit about about the illustrations that you have worked on so far, which have been documenting the Brooklyn neighborhood that we live and love, living and love. Yes, I show yeah show everybody yeah. show everybody the photos that we're all looking at. I wish I could. Well, yeah. you know what? We can yeah. post them on the show notes. Wow, there's a delayed Amy, laugh. With, yeah. your, with your permission. I was like, wait a minute. How can I do that? Hold Is it that? up to the microphone. Yeah. These <laughs> are amazing yeah. sketches. I wish that I could describe them for the people who are listening. but um, I'll post them on the show notes. Okay, great. I think that'll be great, right? What was yeah. it like putting that together? Um, well, first of all, I was... I was just looking to kind of capture the quality of the buildings as they look right now um, to preserve them because I saw everything changing around me so fast. Even when I heard you read my um, bio there, <laughs> I had to chuckle because I thought, it's not really industrial ruins on the riverfront anymore. Well, <laughs> there, are, there are a few left. Yeah. I no, walk by them are. all the time, but, but you're right. They're yeah, changing plug, quickly. Plug. That happens to be where the Domino Sugar Refinery building is on the riverfront. That's right. And that's the setting of um, the historic fiction book that I'm writing. Um, just that building in itself is so inspiring to me and such a relic that they're just aren't many of anymore. And, and I can 
see them slipping away by the day. Yeah. And I don't know what the plans are if it's residential and or commercial, right? Because they're they yeah. may not have decided yet, but they're definitely it's the Walentas brothers limiting. from Dumbo. I believe that they're um, it's a mix. It's going to be a mixed use building, for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah. Do you have any idea how big that that building is? <clears throat> I don't. The only information I know, which is what I was shocked to find out, is that they've hollowed out the old refinery, which is a eleven or twelve story building, so that that shell, which is landmarked remains and then they're going to like build oh. a new building inside of it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, which is which is interesting. Maybe um, it'll be a little bit like the Chelsea market, although on a much grander scale, right? That'd be pretty cool. I love Chelsea market. Um Yeah. So, but but it is it sounds like it is something that's kind of um sad in a way, right? Because you feel mm-hmm. like they're stripping away a piece of of historical context. Yeah, absolutely. Is, right. Yeah, I think that one of the reasons I wanted to write so bad, and I know that we're supposed to be talking about illustration, but that's okay. It's <laughs> because of this this history factor. It has the the story factor to it. It has like the the scene factor, which is like what I draw, what how things looked, the the buildings and the landscapes. But then I realized as I started researching, you know, nineteen hundred Williamsburg, that there's a lot of people's stories that I couldn't find. Oh, interesting. I mean, you know, I wanted to find letters that new immigrant children had may have written back home to family members abroad, such, you know, something like that. Um, And I looked at the Brooklyn Historic Society. I looked at um, the main branch of the Brooklyn Library that has the Brooklyn Collection. Mm. And, you know, they kind of sent me, you know, maybe looking to other New York institutions. But long story short, it's hard to come by new immigrants' words. And in that area, at least what I've gathered from some of your writing, that they were primarily, is it German? Yeah, and- around the around the large former Domino Sugar refinery. Um, that was owned by a German man and his empire, the Havemeyer, um, you know, American sugar refinery empire. And a lot of um, the sugar refining business was brought to the United States by Germans. And so a lot of the refineries, there were more than just that one in Williamsburg around 1900. And that was the biggest one. And yeah, most, mostly all the employees in 1900 were German. The area around there um was boarding houses and tenements of German workers. And then, you know, as, you know, the um, turn of the century happened and those German people got more assimilated, then more um, Eastern Europeans started coming in, Polish. and mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is the most interesting about it is not just the historical part, but the way that it gives insight into what's going on now. Because immigration is such a hot topic right now. And... Um, I just think it gives a lot of perspective we have um, to remember, (laughs) you know, where we started and people so quickly forget. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's, but what, and, and I think we can all agree with that, but Amy, tell us just a little bit more. What, what exactly, what is it for you? Why, why is this fascinating for you? 
you know, why, why am I obsessed? Why are you obsessed I with know. this? I why find because am I yeah. so in the weeds with William's You can draw anything. <laughs> I mean, I've seen your work. You're highly talented. You can paint anything you wanted to. So why this? It's, 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 I'm just curious. Yeah, no, that's a, Brilliant question, Marina. I'm so <laughs> glad you asked me that. I can leave now. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, you know, it's it's all about the time capsule. It's all, you know, not only do I want to preserve what I see right now, but I want to dig up what it was in another time that I have no relationship to. Because I like to time travel. <laughs> okay. Well, so when you so, were younger, were you attracted to time travel books? Were you? Um, I've always been Do you have all of your graduation tassels like I do somewhere? <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. That's yes. one of the most beautiful. You know, yeah. the the two things that um, you know I touch on, you could read about on my website. Um, two things that happened to me around the time that I had young children in Brooklyn was that I found this scrapbook by this amateur historian um, named Eugene Armbruster. And I read A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And both of those um, artifacts, if you will, are kind of like time capsules of another era of the place where I live. And every time I walk down the street, and it would be the same if I lived in Hong Kong. But huh. you might is, have done this for Hong Kong. It's true. You see, it's that's true. No offense, Brooklyn, but <laughs> <laughs> wherever you happen to have landed, you would have dug I really, in. Okay. Yeah, no, I really, yeah. I really am curious about um, who I could have been in another time, who my children could have been in another time. And that's going back to what Diane said about immigration. That's kind of the fascinating, you know, um, meaty bit of it, I think, is that there's always the newest immigrant and they always assimilate. And then the next one comes along and they get beaten down and have to like claw their way, you know, into some group to belong, you know? Right. So now I would agree with you. Now, how do you feel your artwork would, um, I mean, I've seen it, so I think it's beautiful to look at. And I wonder um, to what extent, how far can we stretch that medium, the, the medium of art and illustration to get people to appreciate something that is no longer yeah. here, right? I mean, maybe that's why you switched over to writing, um, potentially. No, I think it's a really good question and um, one that I've been considering, you know, what the actual format, Matt, of this book or of telling this story is, you know? Um, one of my collaborators and, you know, deep conversationalist pals is my husband. And, you know, he thought it should be an app at first. And so oh, there's ways to, you know, flush this out for people. And I think a big component that I keep coming back to is the ephemera. It's like somehow recreating for people the um, discovery and joy that I feel when I do the research, when I'm at the Brooklyn Historic Society and they let me hold an actual publication of a children's book from 1898. Well, and we know where your book's going to be found eventually. That's great. <laughs> I love that. Good idea, yeah. Amy. <laughs> I want to I bring up something. Sure. Do you want to tell us anything about a book called A Tree Grows in Brooklyn? Or maybe Yes, I, I was going to get there, but yes, I think we all need to hear a little bit about how that 
particular book has impacted not only your your life personally, but your your art. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> so deep that yeah, I can't even talk about it anymore. It's so deep. It's really the ways that book came to me. It came to me from so many different angles. It came to me through my family. My mother-in-law was obsessed with the story because she grew up in Brooklyn and then moved to Long Island as a child. So she had this kind of like nostalgia for old Brooklyn. Um, Then, you know, some set painters that I worked with, one of my mentors recommended that I read it. And, um, it just reading that book and, you know, reading the names of the streets and just being, <clears throat> having been an 11 year old girl myself, you know, and relating that period of discovery and just um, kind of loss of innocence, you know, it all, it all just felt very um, poignant. Yeah, that's that's what I like to call the joy of um, connectedness and serendipity because I had, you know, a friend see the paintings that I was doing just to kind of document the houses in Williamsburg and Greenpoint. And she was on the Friends of Leonard Library group, you know, um, who were all kind of banding together to get good programming at the local library. And they wanted to commemorate a tree grows in Brooklyn because Leonard library is the actual library that Francie Nolan would have visited. Oh, that's and so she talks about it in the book. Yes. It's a shabby old place. She talks about meanwhile in that book, it probably would have been like 10 years old, but <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> um, it is still shabby and wonderful and important and I'm so happy. Well, I've taken my children there. Yeah. I'm sure you've taken your children there. Yeah. So when she, so she basically introduced me to the librarian there um, who had a great vision to, you know, put up artwork to commemorate. A tree grows in a tree Brooklyn. And then, and how long did that project take you to complete? It really took me a year, but I had a lot of, you know, side things going on in that year. I feel like a year is almost, that's great. Yeah. Not a long. year. Yeah. Not well, there was a whole process, right. Of like envisioning what the paintings would be and um, the, the composition of the paintings. Right. And then I had to consider like the actual material that I would use. Would it be right. archival? You know, so right. I had to do a fair amount of research. Yeah. There. Yeah. Uh, tell our listeners about how big are these paintings since they can't see them. Yeah. In the they're moment. three and a half by four and a half feet. Yeah, yeah, it's a good size. Yeah, yeah. and they're like kind of mounted above the stacks um, in the children's section. Uh And where did where did you create the paintings in your home in a studio studio, at home? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So maybe uh, for our listeners that are writers, why don't you share a little bit about what's it like for for an author? How should they prepare to work with an illustrator or things? If you have Mm -hmm. any tips, ideas? No, absolutely. Um, Well, naturally, it depends on the book. But I think that what I've learned from being commissioned by writers to illustrate their work is that all writers have a very clear visual in their minds of their story, of their setting, of their characters. So it can be daunting for an illustrator like myself to, you know, try to put it on paper for them and please them. Um, I felt like my first experience 
you know, trying to do this was such a letdown because oh. I expected such utter praise and <laughs> yes, let's do it. I'm so excited. You know, and the woman was like, um, that's not what I was imagining. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Is that what happens? Exactly. Is when, that what happens? Yeah. When somebody cooks something up in their mind, you know, hmm. anyway. Um, so I've learned, I've learned some good techniques for kind of like <clears throat> initial phases, initial kind of, um, presentations to the writers so that they can get, you know, the look and the, and the visuals to kind of grow on them and they can unify their vision with my vision. And, you know, okay. So what, what are um, some things to think about? Let's say um, obviously writers are not artists. <laughs> so yeah. is there a way for a writer, for instance, to um, relay their message more effectively to an illustrator? Like, do they take notes? Do they oh, keep, yeah. or maybe they, do they use well, Pinterest the or anything? One, yes, or, of course. The number yeah. one way to convey, you know, your, your vision or the mood you want to convey is with, um, you know, your inspiration. So whether you put it on a Pinterest um, board or whether you, you know, um, whatever, make a Google doc of it, like just compile, take, take screenshots, take photos with your iPhone, put together mm -hmm. 10 images of illustrations that you love, books that you love, characters that you love, you know, so that the illustrator can see, you know, exactly what your aesthetic is. Oh, that's because a great idea. The range is infinite. Sure. You know, sure. there's, yeah. You need a starting point. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Uh, Diane, you have any questions on the illustration? Did you ever time? have like the perfect union of illustrators view and author's view where the two of you said, Oh my God, we, we work together seamlessly. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> you ever that moment? Like when you just sort of look at the work and you both know we did it. Oh, I feel, I feel kind of mean saying this, but all I can think of is, I hope that's what Betty Smith is thinking when she looks down at my illustrations <laughs> of the tree girls in Brooklyn. Because I've never had that experience with a living person. Uh, well, listen, you know, maybe it's not. But no, it's not. It's I think just it's possible that that will happen. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I think it's also, um, like I said, I think that um, the more the author is prepared when they come to me for, you know, the style and the aesthetic is they can, if they can convey that, if they can communicate that, then I could get there really quick. That's know? great. And I really think it's not all that different from how many authors feel like they're on the same page, literally the same page with their editor, right? It's not like editor me reads the first draft. They're like, Oh, it's perfect. Right. <laughs> I mean, and, you, you know, I think this is the iterative, iterative you process. You can hope for that though. You'll hear people say that they are so grateful to their editor that after a while, sure. the two of them really could communicate wordlessly and understood things the same way. Right. So yeah. it's kind of the thing that you hope for. It might yeah. develop over time. You know, if you have a lot of first clients, you probably have a lot of cold first passes, right? You yeah. don't know each other well, and it can't be different from yeah. other, you know, creative relationships. Yeah. I think that when I've illustrated people's, um, you know, buildings that they've asked me to illustrate for them, it's pretty, you know, it's been very satisfactory from the moment because, you know, they see the style in which I've done others and they want to, you know, they know that they want it in that style, that kind of 
Right. All What's right. it like now that you're switching over to writing? I know you started writing this historical fiction, and um, <sighs> this is kind of well. Actually, wait. Let's talk about wait before you let, let's let's really get there exactly how it happened. <laughs> so Jeff Cobb, who we mentioned earlier, sends me an email. Marina, someone you should meet. Amy Lyons. God and I'm like, Jeff what Cobb. is this? God bless him. Yes. And then and then so Amy and I decide to meet over email and we're both not really sure what the connection is quite yet. <laughs> but then the wonderful thing that happened is that when Amy arrived at our office uh, at the Pencil Works factory where we were at the time, it was just like if we'd known each other, I felt anyway. It was fantastic, oh, totally. right? Totally. Yeah. And the wonderful thing is that that day that I met Amy, she was really at that point where she was just ready to start going into this writing medium. She had tried it. She had, a, if I remember correctly, you had some drafts and you weren't sure that they were quite where they needed to be. And I'm like, well, we've got the writing group. Come and join us. And you were just ready for that. I know. So I remember I that. I said, well, I think we could start from there, from that <laughs> that fantastic meeting that we had. Um, and now you've been a member of the group actually for a number of months. How's it yeah. been for you? You can tell all now. <laughs> No, I can't. Don't I tell can't. them I'm a tyrant in the meetings, please. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will allow you to complain. I'm, okay, you guys can't see me, but I'm nodding vigorously to Diane right now. Um, yes, the writers group, the Brooklyn Writers Project, is my lifeline. I've told you that. It is the missing link. Nobody, you cannot... Um, you cannot put a value on the criticism of your peers. No, There's, not criticism. Critiques. Okay. Critique. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the, Critiques. you know, when I say criticism. <laughs> no, no, I you're mean, right. You're yeah. right. Constructive criticism. Absolutely. Yes. I think you're right. No, if anything, I want to, you know. You're right. You're right. I want to tell those jerks of the Writer's Project, I only want the bad the bad stuff. You don't want to keep hearing <laughs> pra- praise and yeah. people say this is so great. I don't. I think we're pretty well balanced at the Brooklyn no, Writers Project. No, absolutely, absolutely. It's a it's a perfect balance, the good and the bad. What I lo- I do love that um, your work um, has added a, a wonderful um, experience for all of us as readers, right? Because we're all readers. We come to the meeting as readers, and we have so many genres now. Yeah. And I love that you're taking us to this. I mean, for one thing, we meet in Williamsburg, right? Yeah. So it's kind of fun yeah. that we're in this world and you're kind of helping us see it from another perspective every time you submit something. So I think that's very rewarding for us. Um, but what I think is even more rewarding is just the fact that you're showing up and you're giving this a shot. And and um, may I say, and I'm sure Diane will agree, it's wonderful. You've, 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 I mean, I love the first early drafts that you have that you're sharing with us. I actually was um, surprised that you had not been a writer for a very long time um, because reading the drafts that you shared, um, they were quite polished. Wow. Oh, wait, oh, I'm not supposed to say wait, that. Wait, I can't to give take it. all this. Oh, too too much. Amy, all too this much. love for you. <laughs> well, Amy, you no, probably but I will could say, improve. I, I am not going to um, I'm not going to address those compliments, although I appreciate them very much. Mm-hmm. I will say that I have always been a writer. I've always been compelled to write. I've always, you know, um, I've 
been a voracious reader and admirer of books. So, and that's you know, what it and, is. And that's, you know, my it's grandmother. It is yeah. it, that thing being compelled, I would agree, sure. that word. You know, it's not like I've yeah. always been interested in. Yeah, oh, I love words. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I can't. I get yeah. so excited when I critique everybody's work, as you can tell, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I get a little too into it. Like I get, <laughs> No, you do get into it. A little it. too excited. <laughs> yes. And when the word isn't right, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> yes. And we appreciate that. It's always a good thing. Well, now let me ask you this, because I think this question will kind of merge the two worlds for you, because I find you fascinating because you do these two things. So... Um, what would you say are the challenges of attempting to capture history the way you're doing it when you're working with the art medium versus when you're working with the literary medium? What are there? Do you feel like the, the challenge of capturing history is the same or are there some nuances that that you don't expect because of the mediums that you're using? OK, yes, Um the well, first of all, first of all, they like I feel too privileged because they perfectly complement each other. Whatever I can't do in illustration, I can do in words, and vice versa. So, I mean, you know, I, I kind of, I feel like it's it's almost never enough, regardless, because you know, until you have actually teleported and you're living and breathing that air from that time, we won't know. And that's my, that's my number one kind of frustration when I'm writing is that I'm always worried, is this accurate? You know, I'm trying to, I'm imagining this time, but I have all of my own biases and experiences. And yes, I've done my research, but I'm in here and I'm writing, you know, for this 11 year old boy that, you know, is a new, you know, Polish German immigrant in Brooklyn, 1900, you know, so it's, I want to, yeah, that's That's the main character. character. Yeah. I just want to do him right. (laughs) You want to do him right. I think that's honorable. I think most writers want to do it right. Especially if you're dealing with uh, a time context like that. Um, Well, I think you are fortunate that you can rely on one versus the other. And I bet you, you probably then don't have writers or art block. You can just kind of switch mediums whenever you feel like, you know, that is the beauty of where I'm at in my career right now is that I have so many projects that they're all feed each other and I can, Mm -hmm. you know, dip into one and be really um, productive for an hour and a half. And then, you know, take a breather and dip into some a different project, and you know, do you also I don't get, do you also interview people? Do you go around and talk to people who are sort of old timers and try to get their histories from them orally? Not enough, not nearly enough. Um, I always had that feeling when I'd see see, see people, uh, especially within my family, that I wanted to know their stories and I wanted to interview them and yeah. get them on tape and talk to them. Absolutely, I talk to people all over my neighborhood, all the old people, all the time. I try to, you know, I get, I get some good stories out of my neighbors <clears throat> on Oak street and Greenpoint. And I, mm. they've informed, you know, the book, of course. But I was going to say, they're not that, that old. Yeah, no. But, but what's interesting is that you live in Greenpoint <clears throat> and you 
um, are writing about Williamsburg. I used to live in Greenpoint and now I live in, in Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. And for me, the, the two neighborhoods, although they are very close, are very different. Mm-hmm. And I find it interesting that you decided, I mean, you're living in Greenpoint and I, and I know that the Polish community is dwindling every year, um, but they do have a rich uh, history there, which is probably related to, but yet different from the story that you're writing, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I've done research into that too. I mean, the, the polls in Brooklyn, they've come in many waves, you know, so there was a wave around the turn of the century, you know, that came, that a lot of, um, people came from German and Russia, Russian occupied Poland you know, to do industrial factory type jobs in Brooklyn. But then, of course, there was a wave of immigration in the 80s. And when even when you said um, the 1980s, when you said, you know, that the Polish community is dwindling, I'd like to know if that's accurate. I'm not, to- I'm not totally oh, sure. It's interesting because I feel like... Yeah. Well, you know, I lived here in 97. Yeah. I lived, I lived in Greenpoint in 1997. Yeah. And then I felt like it was definitely much more of a Polish influence everywhere that I looked. Um, But there was also, because I lived in Greenpoint when I was a kid in a foster home in 1981. And now that section on DuPont Street was primarily Hispanic. Yes. (laughs) Which I find interesting, right? And actually, if you continue to walk that path down toward, um, is it the creek that they call it? Newtown Creek. What is it called? Newtown Creek. Newtown Creek. Yeah. Now, if you go there today, they're developing that waterfront too. So, I mean, you have books. I think you have a few books in you. (laughs) You can now explore that side on on the Greenpoint end, right? Yeah. And I I bet you that's a rich... Those are stories. That's that's the... um, I'm constantly thinking like, oh, was I right to get stuck in 1900? You know, because like, it's really fascinating what was happening in Greenpoint in the 1960s and 70s, you know. And Well, you'll get I mean, there. You, yeah. You're still young. You can write 50 <laughs> books. Nobody's going to stop you. <laughs> so go for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, do you have any follow-up questions I want to? Well, I'm just really to? struck by the um, richness <clears throat> of being a historian for your existence now. So so the effect on me after I've sort of traveled back in time is that it puts me in a different place when I return to this time. I'm less um, wrapped up in everything. I have a little bit more perspective on things. Mm. Um, and so um, I don't even have a question. Yeah, well, that's okay, because I have an instinct um, to say something. <laughs> Go for it. And that is that um, that's that's the beauty of any kind of artistic inspiration, you know, is like when you see something that, you know, allows your mind to travel to a different reality than the one that you're constantly engaging with. And that's, that's the number one reason that I started the historic research and that I started, um, you know, the children's book was because, I just want my children to be able to experience, you know, this place in a different era, in a different time when there was no, you know, automobiles, no mobile phones, no, really no telephones, no airplanes, you know, um, 
the bridge, the Williamsburg Bridge wasn't even complete yet. I actually went to the Brooklyn Historical Society on uh, Sunday with my girls, who are um, three and six at the moment. Um, and we went there, and my six-year-old was very critical of the space. She said it was only one room, but it was actually <laughs> I mean, but there's a large galleries room. in the other floor. I was in Dumbo. I don't know if you, oh, no, that, I was in the Dumbo location. In the okay, yeah, yeah. So the the Dumbo location is right. a bit smaller. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was lovely and well put together. I haven't been to that one. Oh, you should go. Really go yeah. um, but they did have this great film that begins with the ice that was covering all of Brooklyn and Manhattan. So before <laughs> the ice melted, yeah, I really like got to Mesozoic see Like the Mesozoic Yes, exactly. <laughs> and you get to see the ice caps melting, the oh water levels God. rising, and then yeah. the formation of exactly. Brooklyn. Why didn't right? I pick that era? Yes, you could have went. <laughs> you, would t- you would definitely enjoy that. Um, but yes, no, but then the reason I mention it is because there's something that you said. Obviously, when you're watching these things, they're educational. And so they fast forward through the centuries. And there was they show these beautiful images, actually, of all the greenery that was here. But there were no buildings. Before, there were these buildings and um, churches, which, as you know, are a big part of this area as well, or a lot of Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, so, So there was something, when you said that, I said, that's right. Those images that I saw this weekend, they were so green. It's so difficult to imagine that I'm living in a multi-story building yeah. <laughs> overlooking this, you know, the scene yeah. here. On uh, the very same site that used to be so green. Yeah. Incredibly green. I mean, yes. All you saw is it was just a placid waterway and green. Oh, my God. You know, and yeah. lovely. But, you know, uh, yeah, I, I have to say, though, I do like modern living. <laughs> I don't know. It I suits you, Marie. It suits me. <laughs> I fast. You're fast paced. I might either stay action. where I am or go forward into the future. You know, yeah, like, you know, that might be <laughs> where I go. Right. No, I think the same thing though. And I, again, I just, I've had to nail down this this era, and I, I think I'm just, I think all it was was kind of like, it was right before so many things happened and the bridge was completed in 1903, the Williamsburg library in like 1905. Like there was all these things that kind of weren't here right at that moment, right before that. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really interesting turning point too. right before yeah. the automobiles, right before the subways, but right before so many things, you yes. know? Um, but I just love thinking about, you know, like again, to mention Eugene Armbruster and he, he did his own illustrations as well as having, you know, scraps of newspapers and these beautiful scrapbooks. Um, and so many of the scenes that inspired me were these like riverfront bucolic cliffs of Williamsburg in the 1700s, you know, when it was farmland and there was one ferry, you know, from Mm. Grand Street. Steam ferry. I saw an image of the steam ferry, really large, you know. Can you imagine? And they they had, there was a guy, I think the first thing, information that I ever picked up when I decided to kind of start looking around was about a mansion on South 2nd Street and the guy that owns it was owned it was a guy named Waterbury and he had a yacht docked at the end of South Second Street before oh, there was funny. any sugar refinery oh, funny. and the yacht's name was Julia which was my daughter's name and oh, I was like wow. this is meant to be I'm oh. digging in <laughs> <laughs> lovely lovely I have to say that sometimes in this environment I do long for that bucolic setting yes absolutely and that's why we city dwellers 
go away yeah. <laughs> now. And that's all we can do unless we're absorbed in, in things like what you're writing, you know, books <sighs> like yours. Well, we <laughs> think of it as bucolic, but, um, and I say this from having read the written work of Amy, um, sometimes it was absolutely brutal, especially sure. in the sugar factory, especially in the um, places where people were being ground down by work. Well, that, that but that's after... The bucolic era, Diane. No offense, but the bucolic yeah. era we're talking about. I'm talking about is was more, before all that happened. Yeah, sure. is a hundred years before the factories. Yeah, you know wouldn't what? There it, have but been the some, factories, wouldn't yeah. there have been some awfully punishing work involved, though? I'm just sort of thinking that it's um, not entirely one dimensional when you look at Absolutely. farm living. I no, mean, I've mucked stalls. I know what it's yeah. like. It's not easy living on a farm. Plus yeah. the fact that they were constantly trying to battle the Indians back for their territory <laughs> or the Indians territory, the natives territory, you know, I mean, really? that was, that was, that a, was a major area. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I found in your writing, Amy, that I really appreciate is that although, as you just mentioned, you know, there was no longer the bucolic setting, there was in your writing a very beautiful, like, <laughs> I'll read it for you. Lyrical. Oh, great. Because I'd love to hear it. But for me, one of my favorite lines is when your child character wakes in the morning and he sees the light from the refinery and how it creates like a, I, I can't remember it exactly, but in my mind, I still remember how you painted that particular scene. Mm. And I thought it was absolutely stunningly beautiful. Painted with words. With words. Yeah. Yes, yeah. sorry, with words. I should say this. Yes, with words. Yeah. I'm sure when you do illustrate it, if you do illustrate it, it would be gorgeous. But I have to say that, that there was something about your writing that um, that's what I appreciate about it. And I think when you're done with it, that's what what's going to come across. You, in your own way, are going to be painting with words, as Diane just noted, Hmm. Um, and I think we're going to be very lucky to to be able to take in that story and children, because it is a children's book that's coming. Yeah, we're, and we're talking. Are going to be very lucky to have that added dimension. Yeah. by having a historical fiction. And your character is eleven, so yeah. you're thinking um, the demographic is probably ten to fourteen. Mm -hmm. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, the middle grade. The middle grade. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So I think this is a great place for us to wrap up. Can we get maybe a quick reading at the uh, end? That's our next segment. Oh, right. great. Oh, so, um, so what we'll do is um, uh, we will invite you, Amy, to read an excerpt on our On the, on the Hook segment. That's coming up next. Um, but before we do that, I just want to make sure that listeners do know where to find out more about your art and your work and whatever projects you're working on. So if you can share with the listeners where they can find you, that'd be great. Thank you so much. I would love to. Please find me on the World Wide Web at <laughs> amymarino.com, A-M-Y-M-A-R-I-N-O.com. And if you're on Instagram, go ahead and follow me at Amy Marino Lyons, because I love documenting, documenting my current muses and all the juicy historic, you know, images and research that I'm picking up here and there, as well as, you know, 
the climate around me in Brooklyn. Great. Um, and and spell the name. Sure, sure. Yeah. The Instagram handle is at Amy Marino Lyons, A-M-Y-M-A-R-I-N-O-L-Y-O-N-S. <laughs> Lovely. Okay, Amy, thank you for that. And we're going to move on to our On the Hook segment where each week we read. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. We're going to read an excerpt from a work in progress. And since Amy is here with us today, I'd like her to go ahead and share a paragraph with us of this book. Would you like to share a title or do you have a working title? I would not like to share a title. Thank All you right. for asking, though, because I am really on the fence in between a couple different titles and... Um, Okay. Yeah. We'll criticize all your titles and help you find one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. No, it's true. It sounds, it sounds no, no, fair. No, we'll get there. We'll get there. No, no worries. Okay. So this is the uh, children's book for middle grade. And uh, whenever you're ready, Amy, go right ahead. Okay. So I'm going to read a, um, a little passage from a moment when the main character, Freddie, is being reprimanded by his principal, in his uh, public school in Williamsburg, 1901. The principal says, even if you are incensed, you must turn within yourself and ask, how may I rise above this ignorance? I am sorry, Freddie, but there is no explanation that will dismiss your behavior. Dr. Felter clearly had a no victim policy. Detention will begin tomorrow. Both of you boys should go home and cool down this afternoon and reflect on your actions. As soon as the dismissal bell was rung, Freddie raced off on his bicycle. He almost didn't recognize himself. I'm not a fighter, he thought. I never threw a punch before. Dr. Felter even called out the ignorance of those scrubs. I don't want anything to do with that crew. He pedaled all the way up to Newtown Creek at the tip-top edge of Brooklyn, as far away as it seemed he could get. He sat on a pylon and watched the tugs and barges weaving smoothly back and forth across the tiny waterway and felt the ache of loneliness. I love that part. I went, when I read that, I actually felt a certain sadness and beauty in it. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was wonderful. Okay, so we will wrap up here and move on to our next uh, segment that we'll wrap up for today. So thank you, Amy, for joining us. And Diane, any final words you'd like to share before we go on? I just think that uh, everybody should get the book. And we've you're a child or if you have a child either way well we'll let we'll let our listeners know when the book is ready as yeah. soon as it's ready for for um readers we'll be happy to market it i appreciate it okay that's all for today thank you for listening if you like today's episode please leave us a review it'll help us keep bringing you great content for show notes upcoming events and to participate in the brooklyn writers project community head on over to our website at www.brooklynwritersproject.com. Questions or comments? Send them to contact at lifelinespodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. Lifelines, the books podcast has been brought to you by the Brooklyn Writers Project. Music for this podcast has been provided by Anthony Nuda of Noble Sense Productions.